Hey, Lee Figures is open, and welcome to Star Trek Discoverage, the live podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. I'm your host, Caliban, and here's a party tip. Magic can make the sanest man go mad, but tequila can get you a conversation with the police. I'm joined on this show, as usual, by Ella Pearson. She's the co-host of the Generations Geek podcast on the Chronic Rift Network, which is at chronicrift.com. Welcome, Ella. Hey. So, big question this week. Any problems at all with CBS All Access? No, smooth all the way through. I was shocked. Mine, too. Well, I had a little tiny hiccup at the beginning, and I was like, uh-oh, this is warning signs. But <laughs> no, everything worked out fine for me, too, and that's good. And uh, joining us also on the show tonight, she's the co-host of the Just Enough Trope podcast, our sister show on the JET Network. It's Mikan Hana. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Cal. Um, uh, well, you're welcome to be, to be here. here. You're welcome to be here. I know the answer to this question because I happen to be the other host of the Just Enough Trope podcast, but uh, what goes on? What's your business on the Just Enough Trope show? Well, on the Just Enough Trope podcast, we bring you all the news that's fit to cast in the world of nerdy entertainment, from movies to TV to comics, you name it. And uh, anything exciting coming up on the show so far? Uh, well, we have a weekly segment on the show called Comic Book Club, and where we read and review classic comic runs and some new stuff, too. And this week on the show, we're looking at Lone Wolf and Cub. Oh, that's neat. I've read that. Yeah. Yeah. What's that about? Um, that's about a, a samurai, um, a ronin samurai who uh, basically is the best fighter in Japan. And he, <laughs> he goes around the country killing people. Uh, and he has a son with him. He's got his little baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and is there anything else? Are you guys uh, covering uh, Thor Ragnarok coming up in the future? Uh, yes, we will be covering Thor Ragnarok very shortly on our next show. That's exciting. Uh, not part of the Trek universe, but exciting all the same. Uh, before we continue on this week, uh, this week's show, uh, we have to talk about the big news. Uh, it was announced by the official Star Trek Discovery Twitter account that Discovery has been renewed for a second season. That's exciting. Yeah. I'm hyped. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you think that a second season for Discovery would entail? I mean, reportedly, Brian Fuller had wanted to explore the Trek universe, you know, in an anthology format. That presumably is not going to go forward. But Ella, what would you like to see in a future season? I More of what they're doing. I, <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea what was going to go on this season. And I'm still loving every second and this episode was the best yet i just want more you guys say that every week <laughs> you say it every week without I said I do. It this week. okay this is this is your week to say it uh what about you mika um i think this is the best episode yet as well um i don't know it was just really exciting what about next season uh next season um i i hope that um I don't know. I almost kind of hope that there's some security for some of the characters on the show because with <laughs> the preview from next week, it looks really doom and gloom. Yeah, nobody is safe. We know that. Yeah. Threat ganglia out at all times. Well, uh, we just watched the seventh episode of Star Trek Discovery. It's entitled Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. And we're here to break it down for your listeners. As always, we're setting a course for the spoiler zone. So be warned. We're glad you've decided to join us. But if you haven't seen the episode, spoilers are incoming. The official synopsis for the episode this week is, As the USS Discovery crew attempts to let loose at a party, an unwelcome visitor comes aboard, bringing about a problematic and twisted sequence of events. 
And as usual, that is playing it pretty close to the vest because it's certainly uh, quite a quite a few twisted events happen on this episode. Um, it's party time on the USS Discovery, and because we can't have nice things, this episode features the return. Technically, this is the first return chronologically of Harry Mudd on the show. Ella, what do you think of Harry Mudd so far? I love him. He was great in that first episode, and he's fantastic this time. I'm really here for the, like, time loop trope. Yeah, this is a time loop episode. Um, It's kind of, I mean, Mud shows up uh, in his Murder Bunny cosplay, uh, (laughs) and he um, blows up the ship faster than you can say cause and effect. And um, we've got Anthony Rapp uh, starring as Guinan on this one. He's the guy who... (laughs) can tell us uh, what's going on uh, in between these time jumps, which I think is funny. And uh, yeah, I really liked uh, the glimpse that we got of Mud, but we see a very different side of Mud. Mur- Mud is really murdery on this episode. Do you think that that's because he feels like none of it matters because it's like time stuff? I think he feels like it doesn't matter because he's going to... Um... You know, it's a time loop and it doesn't matter who he kills and why. And and he's going to take as much pleasure as he can of killing Lorca as many times as possible. Yeah, that was a freebie. Yeah. And also, like, Lorca pretty much left him to die horribly, yeah. too. Wow. So. Yeah, by proxy. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, but he just rolls right in. And, it, you know, in the style of these, it's never like a time loop is, um, well, in Groundhog Day, I guess, sometimes Phil Connors just goes to sleep and that's it. And then maybe he made an ice sculpture that day. But yeah, on, on Trek, it you know the ship tends to blow up or somebody dies horribly by ingesting dark matter, which seems like a ba- <laughs> bad news situation. But yeah, I mean, he seemed a little... Um, he was full on, uh, as the British say. Um, but yeah, it was good to see him uh, come back. As the show opens, um, well, it opens with no teaser. We just get right into it here because I think we need all the storytelling time that we can get. And I like to think of... And Mika, you, you might agree with me on this, that... Star Trek has a long uh, storied tradition of the of the crazy gas episode. Yes. Would you think that this is, uh, you know, a, an episode where characters are acting in ways that they normally wouldn't because they got hit in the face with spores or there's some kind of field or effect or something <laughs> or it's a mirror universe? Do you think this kind of fits into that? This is definitely a crazy gas episode. Yeah, you think so? Yeah. Um, I mean, even like just the way that Tyler and Burnham are towards each other, like Tyler being all like, if this is a time loop, then this isn't going to matter. So I'm going to kiss you. Right, right. Um, and Stamets, boy, Stamets, he's just <laughs> all over the place in this episode. He's getting real, uh, real chill. He's uh, Stamets yeah. has been on the crazy gas for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, exactly. He's Mr. Crazy Gas at this point. <laughs> I just think it's crazy that the show is postulating that uh, Wyclef Jean's hit "We Are Trying to Stay Alive" will survive into the 23rd century. <laughs> That's an oldie, uh, but a goodie. Uh, at least Proz makes it. But yeah, they start off with a little music in this show, and we uh, hear the Wyclef track, of course, and then it shifts into the much superior, even though I love Wyclef, uh, Al Green. Yeah. Which in any century makes you want to dance for a little love and happiness. Yeah, a little bit. I guess the quote you know, that, this, uh, that the show is um, based on, you know, magic to make the sanest man go mad, is, is a quote from the Iliad, and I think refers specifically to the idea of love and and charm and so we're sort of getting that in this show uh especially between uh our our two little our lovers there burnham and tyler (laughs) um what do you think about the relationship between burnham and tyler the burgeoning relationship ella 
Um, well, thanks to you, I can't stop thinking about the conspiracy theory. (laughs) And so I was pretty distracted, but, um, honestly, I'm, I'm really here for it. And if the conspiracy theory is true, I'm going to be really furious because this episode really got me. (laughs) This is the, this is the hour of doubt. You know, this is the dark time of the soul, I think, for conspiracy heads or uh, we got to come up with a better name. Coal, coal heads or something. <laughs> but uh, it does make it seem incredibly unlikely that that's what's actually happening. But the, the rapidity with which this, I mean, I know there's only 13 episodes in the season, but the quickness with which they're falling into this. And the fun thing about time loop episodes where things get rewritten is that you can cheat a little. It kind of limits the way that you can tell a story, but it also lets you, what if they cut to the chase? What if they have their first kiss? What if they express you know, these feelings that they're feeling for each other? And then we can kind of roll it back. And instead we get a little wink. You know, it's like, speaking of another Crazy Gas episode, The Naked Now in TNG, uh, where, um, you know, Data and Yar get it on. And then later on it's like, <laughs> yeah, it didn't happen. We're just not going to talk about that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Pretend it didn't happen. Um, do you think, how do you think of um, the way they party in the 23rd century, or at least this part of it? They're playing ale pong. I'm assuming it's some kind of ale. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah. Tilly is stunning. <laughs> I love her party hair. Yeah, right. Exactly. That was, that was when when she lets the curls down, you know yeah. it's getting good. <laughs> and the whole lounge is sort of uh, dressed up. It reminded me there's a con- uh, convention in town called Convergence uh, that happens every year. It's a fan run convention, and they have an area called the Space Lounge. Where you go in? Oh my God! You're so these, right. Yeah, they have all these black lights and things set up, and then a bunch of neon decorations, and it just oh, that's Splounge. That's what's going on there. That is so true. <laughs> uh, and Tilly, I want to talk about Tilly because I still like Tilly. Um, she's still one of my favorite characters, but it seems like she's she's characterized a lot differently in this. Um, maybe she's the type of person who, when she warms up and you get to know her, she's warm. But they started off with her being. Um, very kind of reserved and, and hard to communicate. And now she's just like, shots, woo! <laughs> I don't think she was, I don't think she was like that at all. I mean, she's like awkward, but she was like, she's pretty forward about it. And like when we first see her, she's very like, sorry, I just, I talk when I'm nervous. And she just like blurts it all out, which yeah. is obviously like part of her being awkward. But I was going to say, especially with this episode, I really love what they're doing with her character, how she is obviously like really like nervous and awkward around people, but just goes for it. Like she just goes for everything. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Tilly is all of us. We are Tilly. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Let's start that hashtag. I, I wish I could be Tilly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And I like the way that, I mean, it makes sense that she throws herself into, um, I mean, she's not technically out of the Academy yet. I would, I would assume. So she throws herself right into the party. She's like any kid on her, on her gap year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I, she plays a minor but important role in the episode where she starts to sort of hook up, um, Burnham and Tyler. And even though, like I said, I love Tilly, I kind of wish that they had pushed that out to like a different character, like Detmer or Owasikun or something. So we could see a little bit more of the other bridge crew. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't learned much about them at all. Yeah, I know. We we and and then there's that joke later where Mud is like, "And you, random communicator guy." That was <laughs> yeah. Wait a minute, he's my favorite new I character. Know. He's my <laughs> random communications officer. Yes, <laughs> that's my guy now. Uh, yeah. Other than that, I think they party 
fairly normally in the future. Um, I noticed, and I mean, it's a TV show, and you have to blow up the ship a million times. That costs money. So everybody's clothes seem to be kind of just, oh, this is off the rack. <laughs> I was <laughs> I was looking for something like really kind of weird. Another question I had was, do you think a Starfleet party on board a ship is fun? Because you've got, as we know from other episodes and other series, you've got a range of like ages. So sure, you've got young ensigns and cadets, but then you've got like the lieutenant commander in charge of astrometrics or something like that. I feel like at every party, every corner of the room would be a different group of like, these are the old people that want to listen to jazz. <laughs> these are the raver kids <laughs> that are going nuts over in the corner. That here, seems here, are the, more here are the aliens who sit quietly and meditate. And for them, that's like an ecstatic party. I feel like also, though, they would have like different parties, like the kids fresh out of the academy would have like their like ragers. <laughs> and then <laughs> like, like it once you get a little bit older, you're a little bit more in the ranks and you have like a different party. Right. And the old the old fogies on uh, the Enterprise D just like to play poker. <laughs> yeah. no big parties for them. Sometimes they have I a mariachi that band. That was party on ship would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, some we see a, a lot of new aliens, or at least a couple different uh, new sort of um, elements in the show. Um, we're introduced to the um, Gorm Gormangander, Gormagander. Yeah. Which is a something organic... like that. You don't like that? No, I said something like that. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> Uh, I I think I any like space it. whale is is good in my book. Space whale works, yeah. Maybe <laughs> maybe um, Gormagander uh, stands for or means um, um, flashing metaphor in Latin because at the very beginning of the episode they're like, oh well, you know that some if they don't seek out love then they're just all alone and they're just floating through space. <laughs> this is right after. <laughs> I didn't notice that. This That's is, so funny. Yeah, it's right after Burnham has made her log entry about like I don't know what feeling is. How do I talk to people? <laughs> And then later we find out that she's never been in love. That was the secret. That was intense. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, I didn't expect her to say something like that to him. Yeah, that was yeah. something that, and they do that thing where she whispers in his ear. I'm like, oh, we're not going to hear it. But, you know, of course we do on the next loop. I was glad that we did because I was worried we weren't going to. Yeah, it would have been really frustrating. There's been a lot of time jump and time travel episodes. Um, so this is well trodden tra um, tracks as far as trek goes trek trek uh do you think uh, ella that how do you think that they approached it do you think that they added sort of a new chapter or a new twist or angle to the idea of a time loop story on trek i mean the is the time crystal a new thing so yes and no there actually is a theory about time crystals in the real world um they don't work like that but i think it's just another example of um, discovery writers kind of going to you know we, well-worn copies of omni are on the tables in the writer's <laughs> room uh so kind of reaching out that way i mean i love it i think they the thing about a time loop episode is that you can decide what you want to happen and then you can just make it happen <laughs> yeah exactly because uh, like uh what there was like 60 ish loops at least right which is like a lot of time so I, yeah i don't know i just i think it's a to be honest i think it's a good way to um like you were saying with furthering the plot it's a good way to make stuff happen really fast and i don't think it's like cringy or anything so i'm just really enjoying it yeah 
I think that they it was pretty facile the way they did it. Um, it. You can compare it, I think, favorably to something like Groundhog Day, or maybe this is Gormagander Day. But <laughs> they, that was definitely the pitch in the room. Uh, but uh, they, they don't have to go through every single iteration. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Like in cause and effect, we know that this might have happened more than five or six times, but it kind of seems like it... Well, actually, no, I guess we know by the chronometer they've been in it for a while, but they can kind of skip forward. So Mud comes on and he wants to do one thing. And that's a problem. But now later on we see him again and he's forgotten all about that because he's done that 25 times and he doesn't care anymore. Right. And at, at some point he apparently abandoned his quest to figure out how the drive works because he just wanted to kill <laughs> the captain like 50 times. <laughs> the only thing I worry about with time travel stories is that there's a lack of permanence. Like I'm, I'm afraid now that they've introduced this fairly um, easy to use time travel mechanic that we might be looking at like whole seasons getting overwritten a la the flash on CW. Oh, I hope not because that would just make me want to tear my hair out. Yeah. But he also, where did it go? Where the, what? His, um, like, Oh, his device. Yeah. I, his little predator armband. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe it was just um, like disintegrated it or hit, something. Uh, because it expiry date. Yeah, and then um, Burnham was like, "This is permanent now. You can't change this." So right. Yeah, I think when once he gets the sort of result he's looking for, then he can just take his hand off the dead man switch, and then it just goes away. I want to know yeah. where he got it from. I mean, they talk about. Oh, but that's right. We got a mention of the uh, Beta Zeds. Or Betazoid, uh, the word is used for the first time in the show. So, that's true. Yeah, the bank, and then and yeah. Burnham said that um, she thought that he got it from a four dimensional race. Oh, okay, Ooh. yeah, right. So maybe we'll see them. Do you think? Which that, uh... I don't even. It's too hard to think about what that even means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Guinan could do it, um, but uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see uh, some of them in the future. Um, I think that uh, we get a lot of um, – I had a question for, for both of you. Um, I haven't really looked into the iconography so much of Starfleet of this era, but we see a lot of the white uniforms. Are those for enlisted men and women? The white – like what Stamets' boyfriend wears? Yeah, and then we see the, the crewman um, who I think they picked him specifically because he you know, has like this sort of – granite you know movie star face so we when he <laughs> when he says like oh we're bringing the world on board we like, oh i remember that guy but yeah the guy the crew member in the uh docking bay has one too i guess i kind of assumed that it was like a like a medical thing a That's medical what i thought too oh okay. yeah okay but so... i only made that assumption because um i don't remember what's stamets boyfriend's name uh dr culbert yeah, I only made that assumption because he was wearing one. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what the deal is with the guy that was in the bay when they were beaming the whale on board, but I just kind of assumed that maybe he was part of being a doctor as well. Like maybe yeah. he was to look at the Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the veterinary kind of yeah. wing mm-hmm. what have you. Mhm. Uh <laughs> there's uh... A lot of, I guess we don't know necessarily um, what the 23rd century um, is like, but there's a lot of what I would consider uh, anachronism in this episode. Uh, the aforementioned uh, Wyclef Jean track, um, the, the term man cave is thrown around. 
uh, which is a great laugh line. But at the same time, you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> Do they still have man caves in the 23rd century? It's a perfect description. Uh, we get a lot of close shots of Robot Lady in this episode. And she gets a line. I loved yeah. the interaction between her and random communications officer guy. Yeah, yeah. That was great. <laughs> uh, so uh, Lieutenant Commander Ariam, I believe uh, her name is. Yeah. Um, and and uh, we get a little more background on Stella. I was happy to see that they did that they didn't get as much fanfare as a character like Amanda, but they did cast somebody as Stella, and Stella does appear in the episode, which I thought was kind of nice. Yeah. Um, one thing I was kind of questioning was her outfit because it's purple and red, and it reminded me of the purple and red like hat club that like little old ladies. <laughs> are part of (laughs) so (laughs) i was kind of wondering if they were trying to make a statement like that that she's like out of style or is she so into fashion that she's in style and she's just ahead of the curve yeah she looked a little bit like a christmas poinsettia arrangement (laughs) (laughs) and then the red hair on top uh doesn't necessarily help um i also like the fact that it's it's not really implied. It's basically said that her she comes from like a like a crime family, basically. You know, they're kind of ne'er do wells. So, what is it that Starfleet does exactly? I know that they're explorers and they're a fleet, but if Al Capone just showed up on the uh, USS <laughs> Enterprise on Earth and was like, "Hey, it's no problem," I'd be like, "Okay, thanks, Al." Oh, weird. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of great lines in this episode. Um, most of them are Stamets's <laughs> because, uh, he's, like we said, he's been mellowing out a little and he's a uh, little more active as a character. And so he's the perfect guy, I think, to deal with the time jump thing. Cause he just didn't have any time for anything. So he runs into the party and he's like, Hey, Tilly, there's a hot guy over there. <laughs> 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 and she runs off and later on. He's, you know, teaching, uh, or he's, you know, getting a feel for Burnham, uh, by dancing with her. And he's like, you know, dance with me. For science. That was so sweet. Yeah. I'm so like those like I really love when TV shows have just like those sweet platonic scenes where you're like, oh, they're just best friends. Yeah. And I like the fact that he was able. I mean, I guess the advice in this case wouldn't necessarily help because she's not going to remember it, but it's still sort of edifying. But he's able to give her advice because of his personal experience. You know, it isn't like. Guinan, who's single, and Riker, who are single, and they're like, all right, Wesley, we'll show you how to do this thing. Oh, and the rise <laughs> of the stars, and wow, whatever. shut up, kid. Uh, you know, he has a relationship uh, that is clearly committed, and it's clearly successful, and he's telling her, this is, you know, this is how it works. I know how it works, because I've done it. It was, you don't see a lot of, you know, love. You see a lot of thwarted love, and I, I can't be with them because I'm the captain and she's this, but it was just nice to see that between two characters on the show. Yeah, it was very sweet. And I also, I just love, um, you know, our first gay couple on Star Trek is awesome. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, what else did I have to say? Um, I thought that, and I'm not asking for more, if anybody's listening, but this might have been an episode where you could have thrown a couple F words around. <laughs> if, they're, if they're doing that now, when your ship is going to, your ship blows up 60 times and uh, you're being invaded by uh, D- uh, Dwight from the office, you know, it seems like tensions, <laughs> tensions are high. This might be where you might want to, you know, use some colorful metaphors. <laughs> Do you have any more thoughts on the episode, Mika? 
Um, yeah, I just, I, I really enjoyed a lot of Stamet's lines. Um, he had, he made me laugh out loud quite a bit. Um, and Mud was just really carefree and um, <laughs> just in, just like a childlike sense of fun whenever he was doing mischief and um, it was fun to see that. Yeah, I agree. Um, one of the things that I, I'm just going back to the subject of love, one of the things that I like about the fact that this show is set in the kind of twilight between well, and now and um, and TOS and even TNG era is that TNG is great, but the characters always have that Roddenberry-esque, oh, we've evolved past this and that. We are enlightened beings. <laughs> and these people are still kind of, you know, they're at a party and they're getting down and dirty and they can uh, love each other in a less egalitarian way. And it's, I guess I'd have to think about this and make a top 10 list, but this is, I think one of the most romantic episodes that I've seen of, of a Star Trek series. Like I just, I, even though nobody's even together at the end, like it all kind of goes back to the way it is, but I really like that aspect of it. No, I think it's true. And, um, how Stamet says that you have to be honest and you have, don't hide yourself, um, when you're in love and everything, because, that's really important. Um, and then Burnham goes and is honest with Tyler about how she feels. And then she he kisses her. Um, and we have this really nice moment that doesn't seem forced or cliched. No, it's a totally earned. Yeah. Um, which is great because sometimes when you have these moments between characters that you want to get together, so it doesn't always play out that way. Um, so it was just really nice to see that until he turns into a Klingon and kills everybody. (laughs) Fingers crossed. I would have liked to have seen, uh, they had like, Ooh, they're bought from a flea market fluorescent green and pink cups. But I I was thinking they could have some solo cups. I'd like to see that solo cups make it to the future. (laughs) Everybody in discovery is like party. We got the red solo replicate a bunch of red solo cups. (laughs) Well, um, Ella's already done it. She's already said that this is her favorite episode, so I can't say it's mine. But I, uh, I did really like this one. Uh, <laughs> I still think that the story is really moving forward. And something that I really like about the fact that we have kind of a compressed uh, timeline here. There's only 13 episodes instead of um, more than 20. Is that you really start to see, oh, you guys are smart. I see how this is paying off now. Stamets is a real you know, dick <laughs> at the beginning of the show. So it emphasizes his character change as we get to this point. You know what mm-hmm, I mean? Right. And I think things are really starting to pay off like that. And they, they told us they would. But normally on a episodic, it's all the same, you know, speaking of time loops, it's it's the same thing every week. You just expect Riker's going to put his foot up on something or the captain's going to be reading Shakespeare. But we're really seeing how they connect together. Even though I think this is probably the most standalone if that's a word, uh, episode of Discovery that we've had yet. Like, this felt like the first real Trek plot to me. I don't know if you guys would agree. I think I think I agree with you. I, I'm really, with the time loop stuff and mud, just the entire vibe was very, very TOS to me. No triples, though. 
That comes later. <laughs> uh, no, we had there was a triple. Well, yeah, on his I mean, desk, right? <laughs> but like we've mud, had a triple. <laughs> mud, mud will get in, or uh, yeah, um, we'll see. We'll see more triples later. Um, I, I thought that it was a very standalone episode. Um, it, you could watch this without necessarily watching the rest of the um, series and. I think you could pretty much understand, for the most part, what was going on. Um, Where does it fall in, like, a timeline of, or, like, a rating of your favorite episodes of Discovery so far? I think, I think it might be my favorite, Mm -hmm. my new favorite. Yeah. You guys are getting up on me. (laughs) After we go off the air, I'm going to say it's my favorite, too, but apparently I can't on the air. Um, well, I think it's time for a check of our threat ganglia. Who do you think is going to the big holodeck in the sky in future episodes? Honestly, I'm worried about Stamets. Okay. Um, he's in this episode. I was less like scared of him than I was before. Sure. But obviously something is wrong with him. Yeah. Something clearly is. Yeah, I'm a little concerned about what's going to happen and whether that means like a threat to just him or a threat to the crew or the ship, but I'm yeah. I'm tense about it. <laughs> and as one of the whenever I ask that question, I'm always thinking about the major players, but I guess we should probably lo- be looking at the um ancillary players as well. Like we keep seeing I uh has Detmer gotten a line yet besides just Captain they're hailing us or something like that. We haven't really got into her character. No. Or Osequin yet. So if they're going to off somebody to sort of up the stakes, I think we probably should be looking at some of the bridge crew. Red shirts. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's true. Um, what is the name of the first officer again? Saru. Saru. I'm a little worried about him after the preview for next week. Yeah, the preview for yeah, next I'm week. Yeah, I'm scared. Yeah, it looks intense. And uh, this is kind of like the midpoint of the, well it's literally the midpoint of the season and so you do a thing where let's kill everybody but that doesn't matter and i think from here on out like things are going to start to matter yeah i'm i'm just worried because they seem a little gun happy you know like they <laughs> well that... they don't care if they kill off um their security officer they don't you know and speaking of being gun happy um again close to my favorite episode i guess not my favorite um they have really pushed the they've made a big deal about this war and the klingons and they've really pushed that to the background for a lot of these episodes do you think that that's an effect of just the structure of how they want to do these 13 episodes like the middle is where we kind of calm down and get to know everybody and then as we get to the finale we'll ramp back up into this war with the klingons because they mentioned this war and we don't see any skirmishes in it really yeah, we don't see any Klingons at all in this episode. Or do we? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta let that go. Ella, what do you think about the, uh, the the war with the Klingons taking place in the background? It is. It's a little weird, honestly, because I like forget about it. Yeah. Because those first two episodes are the tone of them was so different than the rest that it just feels like this weird prologue, and now we're focusing so much on the ship and the spore drive. Yeah. Um, I have no idea. I mean, there's so much stuff going on just on the ship now. I don't know if I, I don't know if I want to hear any more about the Klingons. Like, honestly, for me, a lot of those scenes were like pretty slow. 
Okay, um, sure. So I'm really, I'm really living for focusing on the discovery. It's I'm enjoying it too. It's weird too that they it was so central to you know the premiere and like the mm-hmm. the uh, initial you know the inciting incident of this plot, and it makes me wonder if they couldn't have because we don't you know we're in uncharted canon territory, I guess. So we don't know that there's supposed to be a war with the Klingons. Maybe they could have just had some kind of international incident that leads to tension with the Klingons where Burnham kills Takuvma and the Klingons are mad about it, but there isn't mm-hmm. necessarily like this hot war going on because I don't want to tell them how to tell the story, but if there's a hot war, I want to, I want to see some ships fighting each other. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, it's kind of weird that we haven't seen a lot of ships fighting each other. And, um, uh, I almost wonder if we, if they're taking a break from the Klingons because they are worried about people reading subtitles so much. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> because um, they really do have a commitment for, for um, there to be subtitles on the show and for them to be speaking in Klingon and not in English. Yeah, and a lot of that is just the result of having. Klingon language exists for so long. You know, they were kind of making it up in a lot of early episodes of the original series and and the show. And so now you can reap that benefit. And you've got, I, I don't know what the last count is, but there are dozens, there's dozens of uh, actual Klingon speakers out there that probably get a real thrill when they see them actually speaking entire scenes in Klingon. So it's neat. I think they're hiding the Klingons because they don't want anybody to figure out the twist, the conspiracy twist. <laughs> But maybe not. Uh, well, that's pretty much it for our show this week. Thanks for joining us, listeners. If you like what you hear here, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at EIST Pod for updates and to get notified when new episodes of both this show, Discoverage, and our main show, Enterprising Individuals, get released. And you can tweet to us on the show by using the hashtag Discoverage. Also, while you're over there on the Internet, why not head to your listening platform of choice and be, uh, be it Apple Podcast or Stitcher or Google Play. And subscribe to the show. Give us a rating and a review if you think about it, because it really helps us out. And if you like this show, tell a friend. So next week, please join us. We'll be talking about the eighth episode of Star Trek Discovery, and it is entitled Si Wis Pacum Parabellum. I think I got that mostly right, uh, which is an adage from a Roman work, um, which is entitled On the Military. So this looks like this is going to be a... uh, We were just talking about war. Seems like we're going to... Get a party, maybe? Another party? <laughs> maybe get some solo cups this time? I'd be I'd be ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> Ella, thanks for joining me on the show. Remind us where we can find you online. Uh, generationsgeek.com, at generationsgeek on Instagram, um, the Chronic Riff Network on iTunes. All right. And when's that uh, next episode of Generations Geek coming out? You know, <laughs> <laughs> I ask it. I did. I did jump the gun on announcing it a little bit because, <laughs> okay. again, since we're part of the network, it needs to get folded into the schedule somewhere. And there's lots of other podcasts who are um, a lot more organized about getting their shows out on time than we are. <laughs> sure. Okay. Well, anyway, people can stay tuned to the Chronic Whiff Network and their RSS feed because they have a lot of great shows, including Generations Geek. Mika and Hana, where can people find you on the interwebs? You can find me at Just Enough Trope on Twitter and on Facebook. And we're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. 
All right, check that out. Thanks to you both for joining me. Thanks to the listeners for joining us. And we are signing off. This is Caliban for Mika and Ella saying live long and prosper.